Welcome. You are listening to Bookalicious, not just any book podcast. I'm Paul Jarrett, together with Gwyn, Lara and Holly. Join us on a journey exploring the world of books and words. Be inspired. Get new reading ideas, sometimes serious, but always fun. Bookalicious is a podcast to open your mind. Well, hello, and here we are, Bookalicious in May 2022. See, I'm struggling with the year. Um, so uh, welcome to this episode. Um, it's just me and Gwen. Hello, Gwen. Hello. Um, Wales, South yeah, Wales. <laughs> yes, in South Wales. Here I am in North Wales. Holly's somewhere on a train coming back from Manchester, and Lara is somewhere, but not here. <laughs> <laughs> So you're stuck with the two of us. Uh, what you can, what we've got uh, for you this week, I recorded an interview with Patricia Bracewell, who is historical fiction writer. She came all the way from California. Well, I'd like to say she came all the way from California just to do an interview for Bookalicious, but she did come and do an event at um, uh, the Wrexham Carnival of Words, more of which later. Uh, but she also was on the way to a two-week walking tour of Sicily so uh, but it was lovely to catch up with her and we uh, that will lead us to talking female leads let's put it that way I think so uh, we've got that interview with Pat coming up later but and good time-honored tradition I'm going to talk about some of the books I've been reading and Gwen's going to go well, I haven't really read much isn't that right Gwen yes probably <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've never known you short of a word or two. So um, um, my my reading has been dominated by preparation for the Carnival of Words that happened in the last 10 days of April, which now seems like a long time ago. Um, and uh, when I interview authors, you know, it's nice to read their work and it's important, you know, if you're going to ask proper probing questions. So I, I did quite a lot of reading of Mark Billingham, crime writer, who was our first guest uh, at the carnival. And he was first time we'd actually done a live audience um, discussion chat uh, for two years. So uh, and I don't think he'd been out much either. Um, and Mark was absolutely delightful. He knows everybody. He uh, all the crime, every crime writer you could ever think of. He knows um, or even plays in his band called the Fun Loving Crime Writers. So to get this for a band. Um, there's Mark Billingham, Val McDermott, uh, Luca Vesta, who's a Liverpool crime writer, Chris Brookmeyer. Uh, and a couple of others, and, and they've played. They've played Glastonbury. Can you believe it? Ooh, that's incredible. Yeah, 2019, they played Glastonbury, um, and he'd just come back from doing a gig in the Queen's Hall in is that Edinburgh? I think. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so that was a great way to start things, and I really enjoyed Mark's books, uh, The Rabbit Hole, which is set in a secure psychiatric ward. <laughs> <laughs> which is quite an interesting setting. It's a standalone novel um, and uh, murder within a secure psychiatric ward. And his narrator is 
Well, I won't say too much. It does say on the cover, is she a policewoman or isn't she? Or is she actually the murderer? Um, so let's just call her an unreliable narrator. She actually is uh, in the secure uh, psychiatric unit herself undergoing treatment. And uh, Twists and Turns is not in it. Certainly towards the end, it's unbelievable. How he unravels it all is quite... Uh, so that's called Rabbit Hole, obviously. Um with a slight nod to Lewis Carroll. Um, and the other one was his prequel to his uh, Tom Thorne series called Crybaby, which was quite a, a big book, nearly 500 pages, but really, really spot on. As a crime writer, spot on, you know, set in London, uh, great, strong lead. Uh. Um, so a couple other people. Later on, I want, I'll talk about Sarah Hillary around the strong female leads I think I'll leave that till a bit later uh, but one author I did really want to flag up and I didn't actually interview her but when I was listening um, I thought wow she I've never come across her before called Caris Davis originally from Wales um, now lives in Edinburgh and has won the Cheshire Prize for Literature in 2012 so her she started her writing career with short stories and Gwyn I think you would like her as a writer mm -hmm. Quirky is what I would say. Ooh, Quirky and slightly good, weird. Yeah. Oh, I thought so, you see. So I just the redemption of Gallon Pike. Uh, and they are interesting and really varied. Gallon the one the, the, the title story is set out in the um well, Wild West. She does a couple of stories in the Wild West, going back to our Bookalicious episode about Westerns, which if you haven't heard it, is still there in the archive on bookalicious.com. And um, that 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 in itself was interesting. You know, it's about a uh, a Quaker woman who uh, take goes to befriend um, obviously quite a heinous criminal. You find out at the end he's a really grim uh, criminal, but she be befriends him and he comes round to her. And it's in about twenty pages. You've got the intensity of a whole three or four hundred page novel. Um, and then there's a few other stories that have interesting, slightly weird twists to them, which is where I think you come in, um, Gwen. Mm, um, but she sets things, you know, we asked her a question about it, actually. she So one of the stories is set in Siberia, uh, another one in, in sort of at the outback of Australia. And so, oh, have you, oh, no, never been to these places. <laughs> but you wouldn't know it. The stories, stories are great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the one in Siberia is a good one. A woman who gives up her, uh, leaves her relationship in Birmingham to become a landlady of a sort of pub in Siberia. <laughs> it's it's a bizarre concept. Um, I can't really say very much more about the story, but uh, it, she she uh, reflects on life and uh, ends up returning to to uh, Birmingham for. Reasons that you need to go and read. Redemption of Gallon Pike, not a long read in itself. So it's about, I don't know, a dozen short stories. And then um, Karis has also written Mission House set in India. It's about a librarian, a male librarian in his 50s who becomes slightly dis... <laughs> Yeah, you see, I can see from Gwyn's look that he's, he's become slightly disenchanted by the way his organisation treats librarians. Mm. <laughs> uh, all librarians sound like they need to read that. <laughs> yeah, and I, 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 I'm looking forward to it, but it does seem to, to ring a bell. <laughs> and she seems <laughs> to write, she seems, and she, she, she just said she wrote mainly male characters because she, 
could she could get completely away from herself so she was able to write um in 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 that frame without bringing too much of herself in into that character which i think is quite an interesting way of approaching it yeah. so caris davis was great and i'll talk about sarah hillary a bit later otherwise i finished middle march finally yes. we still have one more blog post to go don't we I think. we do i do I've, i do apologize to all our listeners who are hanging waiting just for that and um the reason I've delayed it is we had a really good uh, face-to-face gathering at the carnival, about 10 or 11 of us. Um, and some of the views about some of the characters and the reading of the book, uh, I just, I'm just trying to bring it all together in a nice final blog post. But uh, it, it's been a blast and people almost seem to have lived within the whole world of Middlemarch and have got lots of different things um, from you know there's different people came over with different views of Casabon you know um, whereas I found him a utterly repellent and almost unforgivable character one or two people felt a little bit of pity for him mm. yes yes and then came back a few days later and showed me the quote that made me think oh yeah maybe you got a point so it, it became quite uh, intense um, so I will do that. I promise I will do that in the in the in the next week. Um, it looks very much like Carnival Wrexham Carnival of Words twenty twenty three will also have a readathon as that little event went very well, and it's very likely to be Bleak House by Charles Dickens. Yeah. Well, make a note of that and prepare for that. I, I might. I really wanted to join in with Middlemarch, but when I started it, I couldn't get into it, and so many other things were losing yeah. my attention. I just didn't do it. But if I can organise myself this far in advance, I do want to read a bit more Dickens because I yes. read Oliver Twist and loved it. So I might try Bleak House. Well, uh, yeah, I think um, we, 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 we were all talking about it and we thought maybe Bleak House, it divides nicely <laughs> into, into sections a bit like um, a bit like Middlemarch. Um, yeah, I know what you mean about uh, getting started with Middlemarch. And I would just say to people, if you can get past the first 50 to 100 pages, um, you, you, you won't, won't be able to leave it or you'll mm. need to go back to it. Um, but it, it depends. Look, all books, aren't they? It depends where you are, what's going on, whether it, it sort of sets with you or not, doesn't it? You know, mm-hmm. um, and you're not reading very much at the minute. It's probably it's annoying, really. Yeah, I really try, but it, I, I, yeah, for whatever reason, it's just. Yeah. I think starting with various things I I want to read, which are a bit shorter and a bit. Um, yeah. I think Middlemarch to try and do in one go even over a number of weeks i think it was just too much for too me. much yeah starting point yeah. and it's meant it, it is meant to be fun gwen you remember we started this podcast we said it yeah. has to be fun <laughs> oh, i know i haven't read much but there are a couple of things I, I've got lined up that I want to read. Um, I know we mentioned last time Wakenhurst by Michelle Paver is what I'm reading for the next uh, meeting of my book group. Oh, yes. Um, so that is something yes. I'm looking forward to. And there's something else that I've just, I mean, I haven't even unwrapped it yet. So I ordered it the other day. I actually went, uh, did a, an online writing course recently, um, a five week writing course about uh, fantasy fiction, uh, yeah. writing magical worlds. And the woman who ran the course through the Writers and Artists Yearbook a book called Folk, which I need to check out, but the one that she um, brought out most recently, which we got a discount on, which was great, is called Misty Facts. And it, this mm-hmm. sounds like it's really at my street as well. Um, 
Helen the Hunter, mischief maker, spirit of the forest, leader of the wild hunt, hurtles through the centuries, pursued by his creator, etc. Wow. etc. Et it's got your name on it, Gwen. Um, so <laughs> sitting over there waiting for me to unpack it and read that. So I haven't read much this past month, but I've got a lot of things I need. Yeah, and and um before we go on to uh, the interview with uh, Pat Bracewell, just need to to mention, and I'll put this up in the show notes. Uh, I came across the big, I think it's called the Big Jubilee Read, isn't it? I think that's what it is. The mm. BBC Big Jubilee yeah. Read. Um, the BBC have gone away and done um, a, a list of ten books for each decade of the seventy years, and uh, the. It, it, it's really interesting. They've done it with a panel of experts from across the Commonwealth. So there's a whole range of books. It's well, I worked out I'd only read a dozen of the. Uh, I've probably of the, read less than that. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so uh, and even worse than that, I think I said to you, Gwen, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight books on my shelves that I've not read that are part of it. So that's 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 good. I think I will be slipping them into my 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 reading so uh uh i'll put i'll put the link in to to the show notes and people can go off and have a look at it i think it was it's quite an original and interesting list um, it looks fascinating i mean i'm just having a look through it now and it's there's there's a handful that i've read there's a handful that i've heard of but not read yeah and there's so many more i just haven't heard of at all and it actually takes me back to a few years ago when one of the years when i was blogging and i did literature in, in English language from around the world so whether that was in translation or original language and it was just so different it's so interesting and refreshing to read things that aren't you know as a white person from the UK just so interesting yeah. to read things that simply aren't from my own experience it just made such yeah. a change to finally like that no, yeah. no no that's it carry on no, it re it reminded me of that um, time we did on on the radio. We did that, and you 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 went away and read uh, a, a whole range of things that I'd n never have come across without you you mentioning them. So, uh, uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I'll, I'll I'll update people and see if I actually have time to read some of these things. Oh, I tell you what, before we before we go to Pat, a book that I did pick up um, is called The uh, Foghorn's Lament. Um, now I'm going to have to remind myself who who has written this. I'm halfway through it. It is the most bizarre um, thing. Who ever would have thought uh, to write a book about foghorns? You know those things that stick up, st used to sit on cliffs, and you'd hear them uh, going off during um, during the fog. Um, I will tell you now. The Foghorn's L Lament, The Disappearing Music of the Coast by Jennifer Lucy Allen. Um, she's a musician, I think. So she got into this from being a musician um, and being interested in the reason she ended up doing a PhD about foghorns. Wow. It's That's really neat. Yeah. <laughs> and um, some, some people who do a PhD on something and they make it into a book and it still reads a bit like a PhD, but this actually reads it really draws you in i am i'm amazed that i'm even fascinated by it um i think <laughs> we will um go off uh and uh, let you have a, a listen to to uh, pat bracewell my interview with her um as i say pat came over from california and it was a too good an opportunity to to miss uh, here's my interview with pat uh, everything emma of normandy strong women anglo-saxons vikings you name it it's all there and we'll come back in a in a bit and uh, talk about strong women in fiction 
Well, I, I'm delighted to be sitting here talking face to face with uh, Pat Bracewell. Um, so, hello, Pat. Hello, and I'm just as delighted to be yeah. sitting here face to face with you. Yeah. I'm so honoured. Because we're old. <laughs> don't, you don't need to be honoured, uh, Pat. I mean, we met uh, for the first time when you were writer in residence at Gladstone's Library, didn't we? That's right. 2014? That's correct, yeah. yeah. November. It was cold then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's quite cold this morning, you know. But you, you, you're used to the British weather. We'll talk a bit more about that. <laughs> But uh, yeah, and and um, since then, you and I have we we've communicated a lot, haven't we? You did the first um, Wrexham Carnival of Words uh, from California, where, right. where, um, and we beamed you in, which was yeah. wonderful. <laughs> um, and then you've done um, uh, you've been back to Gladstone's again since uh, you were writer in residence, and I think I missed you. Well, let's tell people who you are, because they're thinking, who's he talking to? <laughs> you're, you're, you're a Bookalicious, you are a Bookalicious follower, aren't you? I am. I yeah. listen to it religiously. Oh, religiously. <laughs> Excellent. We like that. Uh, you are my listener from California. <laughs> <laughs> but I have told people about yes, it. Yes, so. and I've got quite a... It's, uh, it's interesting in the statistics, because... Um, mostly British listeners but a good following in in the, in the States um, good yeah a one person in the Faroe Islands which I love oh, that's know. wonderful yeah. um, and I'll, I'll say hello to them now because I hope you're listening and we're going to be talking about Anglo-Saxons and possibly Vikings so pay attention so Pat you're um, author of a series of books about Emma of Normandy and some listeners will be going who um, maybe not so many as when you first started writing, but uh, the first book was uh, Shadow on the Crown, 2013. Yes. Um, then you followed that up with The Price of Blood, 2015. And uh, just out, was it last year it came out, The Steel Beneath the Silk. Um, and we said just before we came on, we won't call it a trilogy because it's not going to be a trilogy. And they all stand alone, don't they? They all stand alone, So if yes. you want to dive in anywhere in any of those, they're all fantastic books of their own. But they follow a, an arc of Emma's life. That's correct. So here's the question, Pat. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> you, you, you're, you're from California, born and brought up in California, yes. weren't you? And um, I, I'm always interested to know, these historical fiction based in a very solidly English um, uh, period that not a lot of people in the UK really understand or know about so that's quite unusual to start with and what first drew you to writing about um, England, the Anglo-Saxons, all the way there in sunny California? <laughs> <laughs> well you know the very first book that I read as a child, my first chapter book, was Black Beauty. Oh, fab. Yeah. One of my favorite books growing up which I read over and over and over again was The Secret Garden. Yeah, also so, fabulous. <laughs> so I've had this love of England, that uh, an England that I've imagined. I've been drawn to England. I majored in English literature yeah. when I was in university. I did a graduate degree in English literature. So I was always drawn to England. Um, and when I was looking for a historical novel to write, and looking for a character, mm. I stumbled upon Emma of Normandy, and to my knowledge, no one had ever written a novel about her. Um, I was wrong, someone had, but oh. um, I didn't know about it at the time. 
And I found this queen that I'd never heard of, and she seemed like an amazing character that she'd had an fascinating life if I could find out as much about it as I could. And so it was Emma who lived in the 11th century and was married to an Anglo-Saxon king of England that pulled me into that Anglo-Saxon world. And she, uh, she's Norman, isn't she? She, she comes from um, a Norman family. Yes. Um, which the, uh, there's a whole <laughs> lot of stuff to one. But I mean, we were saying the other day how complicated this period of history oh, is. Very you know? much so. So you yeah. must have thought, great, I've got, I've got Emma. That's a great character. And you find stuff about her, and then you look at the, you got the Anglo-Saxon chronicles, which are. Mm, I'm maybe a slightly dubious narrator sometimes, <laughs> uh, but there's a whole lot of stuff and different stories being told and, and just unpacking that's really complex, isn't it? It's quite complex. And of course, there's Emma's encomium, the encomium Emma oh, Regina, yeah. mm. which she commissioned much later in mm. her life, but she starts her encomium, and of course, she didn't write it herself. There was a, a monk who was in her household who was writing this story for her, and we assume that she's feeding him information. Yeah. Um, but the story begins with the Danish conquest of England. There's nothing mentioned about the 15 years that she was married to the Anglo-Saxon King of England. And for me, I thought, as I was imagining what I was going to do with Emma, I wanted to write that bit of the story, the story yeah. that Emma didn't tell. Yeah, so she, an uh, amazing woman in any age, actually. She, she marries two kings, and so the first one um, people know as Ethelred the Unready, which right. is probably a <clears throat> slightly odd title for him, but he, he, yeah, tell us a bit about Ethelred and how she ended up being married to him. Ethelred had been married already, already had ten children, uh, his name means noble council. So had ten children before Emma. Before before wow. Emma, <laughs> yes. surviving children. Yes, surviving children. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and his three eldest sons would have been about the age of Emma. Hmm. So that's an important piece of that first book. But uh, he'd been reigning for about twenty-five years, and uh, his name, as I said, means noble council. And the Anglo-Saxon word unred means no counsel or oh, right. bad counsel and so that's where the name Ethelred Unred comes from and then some twat somewhere along the way <laughs> corrupted it into unready yes. yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah and, and that's because he was he was actually not unready was he no he, it he, wasn't. He, there were certain times where he was a pretty strong decisive leader wasn't he? right he was almost ACDC you know there were times yeah, when he yeah. was just really strong and then other times when you I would read the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle and ask and say, why are you doing that? <laughs> <laughs> you should have been by his side, shouldn't you? <laughs> well, uh, Emma probably tried yeah, to do that yeah, too yeah, when she but, got there. Yeah. Um, but he, um, um, we'll, we'll talk, maybe talk about Vikings Valhalla um, <laughs> in this conversation. But he comes over, he, uh, you kind of catch a brief glimpse of him at the beginning of that as a... Uh, by the end, he was quite sick, he was old, he was beginning to lo lose it, or is that fictional? Is that all just made up? Because in, in your books, he's sort of, uh, his brother haunts him, doesn't he? Yes, there's, yeah. that, there's a wonderful quote from William of Malmesbury, who was mm. one of my mm. um, uh, sources. Mm. And he was writing in the 
1100s. He was writing in the 12th century. Mm -hmm. And he writes uh, that Ethelred was haunted by the shade of his brother, demanding right. terribly the price of blood. And that's where the title for my second book came from, and where the ghost comes from that haunts Ethelred through all three of my novels. So that's, you know, I think there's no smoke without fire, is there? So that may have a seed of truth in it, might not it? That's right. And um, Ethelred's brother had been king before him. He was his half-brother. Mm -hmm. So they had the same father but different mothers. Yeah. And uh, that king, Edward, he's known as Edward the Martyr, was murdered. And so that's the shadow that follows Ethelred's reign, is the death of his older brother who was murdered and no one was ever um, punished for that murder, which is unusual. The murder of a king, that would be a big deal. Having said that, though, um, the whole thing through, through the arc of all three uh, of, of your novels so far, um, succession is the huge thing, isn't it? And it's very dangerous to be... Uh, even related to a king who dies um, and someone else is challenging it. You know, it, it was the, even up until recent times, actually, successions have been a crisis, haven't they? That's right, that's yeah. right. And that's yeah. something that Emma was going up against all, all her life. I'm, if I write, once the fourth book gets written, that's going when to be the big deal. When you write the fourth deal. book, come on, let's say, <laughs> let's say it on Bookalicious Podcast and then you'll have to commit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I hope you write the fourth fourth book. Uh, I think it's because there's a, there's a significant. Well, be careful what we have to say here. Um, there's a significant bit of Emma's life still to come at the end of the third book. Isn't that's there? right. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And and of course, in terms of story, it's not the time when everything's going smoothly, when you're the queen and everything mm -hmm. is happening mm -hmm. beautifully and you're in control. It's when you're not in control, when everything is coming down on you like a flood and it's awful and yeah. Emma has several uh, times in her life when that happens. I don't know and how she holds it, <laughs> holds it together. I mean I know you're writing fiction but you give a real impression of how intense that must have been. Yes uh, I hope so that's yeah, what no, I try no, to do. You really do you really yeah. do. It, it sort of leads me to, a, to, to the question then Pat you've talked we talked about the complexity of of the period and that you, you know I know you love the research and finding the sources and, and unwrapping these because people don't know do they They don't know what so end of the end of the Roman occupation which is also debated when the did right. the Romans actually ever leave probably not because um, uh, they, they'd sort of been there for a few hundred years and then from that time up to 1066 what 600 years yeah at least 600 years and um, you know, history in schools in, in the UK begins, well, we have the Romans, we know about them, you might get the Celts. Um, we start, well, I started in history in school, 1066, not much happened for the Dark Ages, what yes. a horrendous term that is. Um, so, yeah, so there's a lot to research, uh, but it is a difficult, in a sense, it is quite a Dark Age because the, the sources are... You know, he talks about William and Malmesbury and, and, and Emma's own sort of works. So it's, it's kind of a piecing together. And the Normans were quite good at seeing the Doomsday Book onwards. They kind of wrote stuff down, didn't they? Right. Yeah. But then, um, so it's a tricky period. And you do your research. So the fiction fills in the gaps. I mean, what is it? How do you balance that out? 
Well, particularly when you're writing about women, it's very, very hard to have something that's specifically mm. about the women because they, they don't talk they don't about talk the about women. women. <laughs> they don't talk about the women. Thank God we have the encomium yeah, or, yeah, or we yeah. have almost nothing. But there were stories about Emma that, that you know, William of Malmesbury mentions her. She's mentioned several times in the Anglo-Saxon mm -hmm. Chronicle. Mm -hmm. But um, in terms of researching what, what you have to do and, and, and then in writing the story, you have to really own the history. You have to know what happened, what various events were, and then you think, how is this woman going to respond to this particular event? How did she respond to the St. Bryce's Day Massacre yeah. um, in 1002, I think that was, when she's of Danish origin, her, her grandparents were Danish, and, and the king is ordering all the Danes in England to be executed. How does she respond to that? This is the year that she first arrived. Mm -hmm. um, so it's incidents like that that you try to put yourself inside the skin of the character that you're writing about. And of course, it's not just Emma. You've got to put yourself inside the skin of the king and of his yes. eldest son and of Emma's rival, Elgiva, and, and deal with all of them mm. and, and what is happening around them. And Elgiva, who features throughout, yes. it's, it's sort of, um, I, sp I suppose, Emma's nemesis in a way, isn't she? She is. Yeah. She's her rival. I, I mean, how much is there about Elgiva in, in the in the in the records or anything that you, when you're researching? We don't really see anything about Elgiva appear in the records until um, after the death of. Oh right. Okay. So. Then it happens to mention that, oh, by the way, he had this other wife. <laughs> Another woman, just, uh, just over there, yeah, yeah. That's and, so, and so you have to piece together yeah. what, you but know. a joy for a historical fiction Absolutely, writer. it's the gaps that are yeah, the most fun yeah. to write into. Yeah, yes. yeah. I could tell you enjoyed writing about Elgiva. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I liked yeah, being yeah, Elgiva. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's my bad a, girl. She, she certainly me is. Yeah, <laughs> bring yeah. out all the nastiness um, in me. <laughs> so... Sorry, we left Emma hanging, didn't hang, uh, there, <laughs> didn't Emma. we? So you know, so um, <laughs> Ethel Red. We'll talk about the men in the books in a minute. I leave them to last because they okay. got, they've been talked about enough in history, but we do need to talk about them. But so she, you know, Ethel Red um, dies. Um, there's a succession crisis today. Today is, is today? the anniversary of the death wow. of Ethel Red the Unready. Shakespeare as well, <laughs> and born Shakespeare and, born yes. and died. Probably St. Today. George's Day and St. George's Day. Yeah. Wow, what a conjunction this is! <laughs> it's looking good because we're doing a talk later, aren't we? In the in the Wrexham Library, that's it's all the, the, the planets are aligned. So yeah, so he he dies today, um, and the, you know there's a succession crisis, and there's, a, there's sort of three or four people take the throne within a fairly that's short. There's period four of time. kings. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. there's uh, Ethelred, there's Sven. Sven, yeah. Um, actually, Sven died before Ethelred did. So there's Sven, there's Ethelred, there's Edmund Ironside, and then there's Canute. I remember when you were in Gladstones, <laughs> when we first met, yes. you just got hold of some stuff about Sven. Yes. Because uh, he, he's shipwrecked, isn't he? Yes. Um, <laughs> and you were, just, you were very excited because you'd found something in a book, hadn't you? And so, and Sven. People don't know about Sven. Do you? So, was he actually crowned as king of at least some of England? I I don't know. He was not crowned. Okay, but everyone he, submitted to him. 
And the Witten was supposed to meet in York. Yeah. Um, and this happens in, in, in the third book. Yeah. The Witten was supposed to meet in York, and I think that's very true that that happened, and they were probably about to offer him yeah, the yeah. throne because yeah. they had no choice, yeah. and he died. Yeah, inconvenient, really. Well, or for him. was it? <laughs> or, or, or was it inconvenient, or did someone take him? Well, you know, there's this theory that St. Edmund appeared to him in the middle of the night and stabbed him with a spear. Oh, I so. love that. I love that. <laughs> let's, let's assume that's how it happened. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so four kings, um, and uh, Edmund was the son of Ethelred. Edmund Ironside, Ironside. was the son of Ethelred. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you have to forgive me because I watched a bit more of Vikings Valhalla uh, yesterday. Oh, and, God. Because uh, <laughs> you warned me about uh, <laughs> Edmund. You're dead right. There's a real relationship with the character in Game of Thrones. Uh, yes. so, I mean, I'm sure he wasn't like that, was he? No, absolutely not. They just trashed him. to make him sound strong. Yes. He is, was everything that his father was not. Okay, well, yeah. that, that's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> now, <laughs> sorry, um, but he did. He, you know, he almost routed. Yeah. He almost routed the Danes yeah. uh, from England. And yeah. if it hadn't been for Eadric Striona, who uh, vacated the battle. battle of Assendon, um and yeah. and caused him to lose, and then Edmund died, and we yeah. don't know how Edmund died. They pretty much think that it was he was probably wounded in that battle, or there. It's possible there was a battle after yeah, Ascendant. Yeah. He may have been wounded there. And but, in those days, if you got... Well, look what happened to Richard Lionheart. You know, he yeah, was... Yeah, yeah. The wound infected, and that was it. That was it, yeah. 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 Uh, um, well, that's really... Yeah, we would like to know a bit more about Edmund, actually. But uh, Edric, well, what a character. He is another... And I mean, I talk about a bad... But a real bad guy, you know. How many times does he switch sides? <laughs> I mean, this is... Which way's the I wind this morning? I'll go that way. Come on, guys, we're going that way. He was definitely out for himself. Yeah, and he knew yeah. that if Edmund took the throne, um, he was, he was going to lose it all. Yeah. And so uh, he had a better chance with whoever wasn't Edmund. Mm. There's leaders like him around today, aren't there? We won't mention any names, but uh, <laughs> who follow the wind and are there in for it them, themselves. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah, this is not a political podcast. Right, I'm, I'm going to not go but, there. But, the, you know, the, the, uh, there are some things that Some things don't, don't change. change. That, War doesn't change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, and then we should get to, to Knut, who is um, probably only known in uh, by uh, scholars <laughs> of history in this country as the guy who sat by the sea and made the waves go back. Yes. Um, mean, or didn't. Or didn't, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, got wet feet probably. Hey, we've all done that, haven't we? Um, uh, I first came across him, you know, in um, in Bosom, in Sussex, in that Bosom, uh, Bosom Harbour, uh, and his one of his children uh, drowned in the harbour, and there's a memorial in the yes, church. Yes, that beautiful memorial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I thought, well, hang on a minute, I need to know more about this guy, Danish king of England, surely not. And there he is, you know, what a, 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 so a really interesting figure. Yes. And, and he comes along eventually, marries Emma, and there we are. How long did he reign for? Uh, About 17 years. So that's quite a long time, isn't it? Quite a long yeah. time. Um, and it's interesting that that daughter is buried at Bosham. Yeah. And that daughter, they 
because of the, I, I can't remember how old she, I think she was supposed to be about 12 yeah, so when she died, yeah. which meant that she would have been born before Knut married Emma. Okay. And even before, supposedly, Knut married his first wife, right. Elgiva. Mm. And so in my book, I have him marry Elgiva much earlier. So, so yeah. to cover that period, so that that little girl actually exists. Because he's a... Um, gosh, what a, a figure he is, because he's what a king of um, Denmark. Uh, he has a whole northern empire. Uh, and the lo- a huge chunk of Scandinavia. Part, of, no- yeah, part yeah. of Norway, yeah, yeah. England... Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's 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 quite a guy, um, and yeah, interesting. Uh, he he, I I sense re- reading your books and you're see, seeing various other fictional things. He's he's getting a bit more of a an, an airing um, than he has in the past. Well, he was really um, very significant. I think mm. people aren't aware. Mm. I mean, he was at the crowning of the Holy Roman Emperor in Rome. Mm. Um, and I forget what year that was. Uh, That's a big 10, deal, though. Ten twenty-seven. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, he was yeah. he was making treaties for the British to be able to travel to and from wow. Rome um, yeah. without paying a lot of um, fees to mm. to get through. Uh, he was tight with the Holy Roman Emperor. His uncle was the King of Poland, which most people don't realize that wow. his mother was Polish. So this is this is stretching right across <laughs> Western Europe, almost yes. dipping into the east. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, Swedes go. We could talk about the founding of Russia and Ukraine. I mean, yes. you know, the Swedes went that direction, right. and the Danes kind of came our way. Came west, yeah. So by this stage, I mean, you know, a lot of people still think, oh, you know, Knut was a, was a Viking, which I suppose. You know that's in his genes, but we're talking about a Christian king who goes to Rome, um, ha- has, well, for better, want of a better word, quite an empire. He's a really significant guy, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. And Canute and Emma's daughter married the son of the Holy Roman Emperor. Wow. Most people don't know that. I didn't know. I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I mean, you know. I should have read Mark Morris's Anglo-Saxons <laughs> in a bit more detail, shouldn't I? Or, they probably didn't probably even mention didn't her. They probably no, didn't even mention her. Yeah. She died quite young. She yeah. died of a pestilence that okay. was in Italy at the time. And and so... Sounds familiar. Yeah, it sounds familiar. <laughs> reading that during COVID, you know, that's, yeah, that's what yeah, happened yeah. to her. And wow. she had a little daughter who became uh, an abbess. Yeah, wow. Is, I, I mean... What I love about historical fiction and the fact that you've written these three books is the reason we're sitting here and we're just talking about these historical figures that have been, well, yeah, actually neglected by the academic uh, world, probably because the sources are too complicated or not enough or, you know, but here we are talking about them and it brings them alive. It, It just isn't it a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing, and to me, the 11th century was yesterday. Yeah, well, I'm feeling that. I feel like they're in the room with us. <laughs> and I think, I think particularly where the women are concerned, yeah. because more women have gone into the field mm-hmm. of history and scholarship. They are searching for the stories of those women yeah. Um, yeah. and trying to find the truth behind some of the um, some of the lies that were spread about the women, because let's face it, the the, the holy fathers <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> had had an interest in making sure that women's stories suppressed. were kept yeah. suppressed. 
so that brings me on to the men. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking about them. <laughs> yeah, I know, and and they don't come off. They, they gen, generally, I'm. Uh, they they don't come out of it too well, do they? I mean, I know it's of the time, um, and it was bloody. It was violent. Life was fairly short and brutal, especially if you were higher up the chain. Actually, I mean, I dread to think what it was like being. A peasant working the land. I mean, it must have been horrendous. Yeah, yeah. It must have been horrendous. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, let's not talk about men. Because <laughs> gen- generally speaking, they have the power, and largely they seem to abuse it all the time. You know, and until you get someone like Emma who comes along, who actually, she's, yeah, she's astute, isn't she? You know, she is astute. And, and, yes. and marrying Canute, whether she. Whether it was a romance or not, was a pretty sharp move, wasn't it? It was a sharp move on his part too. Oh yeah, yeah, because they're both he, bright actually. He, yeah, yes. he recognised, yeah, yeah. you know, that yeah. she knew where all the bodies were buried. <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> and and she knew who the power brokers were, and yeah. she was a power broker herself. Yeah. For yeah, that yeah, matter. Yeah. 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 So, um, mm. so it was. There were advantages on on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. So now, um, let's talk a bit more about, so potentially there's book four. I know you've been doing the research. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so the books one and two were quite close to each other. You, you did, They followed quite neatly for you. Your writing process, I guess, was going quite steadily. And then there was, what, five years? Five year Six years, Six I think, years, completely. Yeah. 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 Is it just because it got complicated? <laughs> partly because it got complicated. Partly because the whole publishing issue got oh, um, okay. um, complicated. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I did, I, I attended a conference in 1016 in London. Um, it was the anniversary of the uh, the Danish siege of London. Wow. Oh, what did I, I said in 2016. Yeah, no, you're living in Anglo-Saxon times, Pat. In you're right, we've all got that. Yeah, 2016. In 1016 was the Danish siege of London and, and the death of Ethelred and the, the, um, the, the crowning of Canute. And so there was going to be this huge conference. And so I didn't want to finalize anything until I'd been there mm. and, and listened to what the scholars were saying the most recent research about what they had to say about uh, that particular period. So that's, and that's I, I interesting because uh, it seems to me, whether scholarship follows historical fiction, but it seems to be now a lot more, I mentioned Mark Morris's Anglo-Saxons book. Yes, um, yes. It's now creeping into. It's a really good. It's a solid piece of academic work. I mean, you could. It's in Waterston, so you could probably call it popular history. It's but on my my bookshelf. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it, I read it. It's almost like reading a novel, actually. I, I mean, some of those guys, guys, uh, some of those kings, you can't make up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to have to talk about this. Uh, I talked about this on Bookalicious before about uh, I think it's Ethelbald, who um, you know goes off to Rome, and his wife oh, yes. dies, and then he comes back and married or oh, no, marries the Judith. Yeah. <laughs> 12 and he was 50 <laughs> and then he dies and his son marries her I mm-hmm. mean whoa that, <laughs> even today that would be on the front of the sun I mean <laughs> so I got distracted now <laughs> I love Judith she's, she's wonderful she's a wonderful character someone should write a book about her 
<laughs> Pat. <laughs> I noticed today someone was suggesting that you, there was somewhere on social media, it's a dreadful thing. I never write uh, these sources down, suggesting that you ought to dive into, to, oh yes, you sent some pictures of Watts Dyke uh, to Facebook, which uh, we went yesterday on a, a brief uh, Anglo-Saxon Norman tour uh, around Wrexham and was saying, oh, you need to now get get stuck into Al- Alfred the Great. <laughs> I haven't even seen that yeah, yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, have you not seen that yet? You've got your work cut out for book four, all right? <laughs> yeah, one thing at a time. Let me finish what I started. Yeah, so so early days for book four. Early days, uh, yeah. 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 I'm trying um, to figure out the beginning and the ending. <laughs> Once I know that, then I yeah, can go on. Yeah, and this research is so much fun, isn't it? You know? It is fun. It is fun, but it is, you know, tearing out your hair kind of research because uh, this period, this pre-1066 period, Oh my goodness, it's just it's, trying to follow yeah. through the various actors and I don't even want to go into it. <laughs> it's do, complicated. Do you get readers coming back to you um, challenging your historical accuracy? Um, not really. There was one gentleman who wrote early on um, complaining that uh, so, so, someone wrote about the organ in uh, Winchester Cathedral. That, I had an organ in in the cathedral, and he said there there weren't any organs. And I, I and I went I sent him the page of research that yeah. I found. It was the largest organ in England. Um, so, so something like and then someone else wrote. Well, I think by this time, um, the the cathedral in St Paul's was yeah. made of wood, yeah. and I got back to him and said no, it burned down in such and such a year, and they built it in stone. So things like that, but not about... That's interesting, isn't it? I bet if you're writing about Romans, Normans, um, you know, one of the more documented periods, you'd, it'd, be, uh, it'd be murder, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so good period to choose. Yes, <laughs> I did choose it. And so I thought, no one else is going to know whether I'm right or wrong, so I can make this up. <laughs> uh, now... Um, some some of it must be really quite. I mean, I can tell you love writing it, but some of it's quite hard to write. I would think, you know. I mean, what, do you find some of it hard to write? The battle scenes, or uh, I try to avoid battle scenes. Yeah, I, I, okay. The yeah, few yeah. that I've had have been reported back. Yeah. Or yeah, I yeah. did write one in uh, the last book where Emma was watching, so we're seeing That's it through right. her yes, eyes rather yes, than through the. Yes. I lead the battle scenes to Bernard Cornwell. Yes, he does he that d- very he does well, that doesn't he? Quite well. He's been doing it for quite a long time. Yeah. But I really had trouble with the prologue of this third book. Right. Because once you get to the third book, you do want to incorporate some of what came before. Uh-huh. And I was writing a scene at the end of a of, of book two. There's a scene set in a. Uh, chapel in a church and it's a very um, tense scene there are swords drawn there's a child at risk and I I I needed to go back to that scene so I needed to rewrite that scene in a different way okay so I had written it originally in the second book from Emma's point of view and then it switched to Athelstan's Mm. point of view and that was how it ended um, and this time I thought, how am I going to tell that scene again? And do I have to tell it exactly the same way? And I tried writing it from the point of view of Emma's young son, Edward, mm, who mm, was there. He was mm. only about eight years old. And that didn't work. Edward he becomes the Edward the yeah, Confessor. Yeah, yeah. That didn't work. And so then I had to write it from an uh, omniscient point of view so that I could see what everyone 
was the motivation for everybody there. And then I started it way earlier than I did in the uh, original writing of the scene. So I set the scene differently. And so the scene started out being four pages long and it ended up being 12. (laughs) That is a challenge. But I probably rewrote it 50 times. Wow. So That is... Yeah, okay. That's a very good answer. That is really tough uh, writing. And, 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 and this, is may, this is an unfair question. We're going to ask it anyway. Apart from Emma, who obviously you love writing about and she's the centre of everything, uh, which character do you most enjoy writing about? Probably Elgiva. Yeah, 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 she said that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because she's yeah. the... She's she's the she and Emma are two sides of the same Ying coin. And Yang. They have yeah, a yeah. lot of similarities. Yeah. They're both quite strong women. Mm. They're both canny. Mm. Um but there's a dark streak in Elgiva that I can Make reach up. down into my <laughs> own soul and, and bring up. <laughs> oh. So yeah, I can see that there's an Emma and Elgiva in you. And and I do tend to torture Elgiva a little bit, so so that's kind of fun. Oh, I love it. Yeah. um, (laughs) You you now. I mean, obviously, you know, you read Bernard Cornwell and you watch Last Kingdom, and you. I've met Bernard Cornwell. Have you? Yes, I have. Oh well, I'm (laughs) I'm in the presence of royalty. Um, uh, We're still trying to get him for Wrexham Carnival of Words. Yeah, he lives in the states, doesn't he? Yes, yes, he does. Um, But you, you, you you know, the 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 supreme master of writing battle scenes, and you know, translated amazingly to Last Kingdom. You know, um, I think I said to you yesterday that I had to have a little rest from Lost Kingdom because I think it's just the battle scenes are so intense. There's only so much you can take. Um, but from your books, in a different way, I definitely get the sense of the time. You can almost smell and touch um, that period. That's quite a skill, Pat. How, how you, you know? You said said to me you feel like it was only yesterday to you. Do do you do you have a real sense of being there? I think I do. Mm. I I and it's really funny because, like you say, I live in California, yes. which is absolutely not like it um, at all. But um, I surround. You know, before I write a scene, I draw it. Oh, do you? That's I do. Really interesting. Um, I I I draw a picture of the room or the space or the abbey or where so I know where everything is yeah I know what what furniture is in the room uh, and where the windows are where the doors are where there's light and where there's dark so that really puts me into the space that's amazing I that's really an interesting technique I've not heard a writer talk uh, d- d- um, d- you know, so you're quite a visual writer in a yes, sense. Yes, I'm quite a visual yeah. writer. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel like my eyes are a camera. Yeah, that's, um, that's and that really translates to the page. So that's that definitely works. I can say um, <laughs> how you bring the smell in because I definitely smell Angus. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of horses and, and other stuff there. It must have been pretty intense, mustn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, okay, well, I'm. Um, if we talk too long, we'll run out of things to say and I won't have anything to talk about when we meet in the Carnival of Words <laughs> later today. Um, 
And we've talked about your future plans, so you know there's a, a potential book for. How, do you dream of um, uh, potentially moving? What you know when you may be finished with Emma. I mean, there will come an end, won't there? Yes. Have you got anything else that's sort of niggling away? Think I'd love to write that. I really haven't. I'm really still very focused mm. on Emma. Um, Judith, of course. Yeah, we see, mentioned her. She's she sounds do really interesting. Yeah. Um, when I first started thinking about writing, which was back when I was a child, practically, mm. I had often thought that I would write about the Arthurian period. Right. Um, mm. But other people have done that so well that it's yeah. it's it's. I, I don't know that I would want to go back to that. No, there's um, a, and there's a lot that that market is definitely yeah. saturated. Yeah, and there's a, yeah. so much more to. I'd love you to write about Judith. Yeah, I'm so glad I mentioned that. <laughs> I'm intrigued. You know, yeah, you read yeah. those little lines in a in a history book, and you think, yeah, I wonder what was that like. Um, yeah. And and yeah, it would be interesting to even mm -hmm. just to write about her Anglo-Saxon mm. life because she had this whole other life out. I mean, she married again a third time. She Did was, she? Yes. Oh, I didn't pick that bit up. <laughs> wow. And she, she, it, it, she eloped um, with... with <laughs> oh, there you go. That's book <laughs> five. Flemish count. Book five, you're going to go back. <laughs> they were quite the power couple. Yeah. yeah. Great. There you are. Again, you said it on a on Bookerish's podcast. Oh God! So this is going to have to happen. Don't tell my husband. If I see him, I will. Okay, my my lips are sealed. Look, Pat, I I, I was going to ask you. You know, we talked about your um, early reading of England and. Um, uh, because I think you said we were talking yesterday about your first experience of coming to England in the <laughs> yes. early 70s. Yes. And it wasn't quite the secret garden. <laughs> um, but do you have writers that still are significant to you? You know, um, English writers in the sort of canon of classical, uh, classic English uh, literature. You know, because you, you know, that's, that's, that's your subject. Um, who are your favourites? Well, Tolkien, of course, okay. at, right at the top, and I, I reread the trilogy not too long ago. To me, that's yeah. the trilogy. The trilogy is Tolkien. Um, gosh, I, I, you know, go back to the classics, Jane Austen. Um, of course. <laughs> I reread Jane Eyre recently for the first time in yeah, a long time. Yeah. Um, so... You, you, so you go back and, and, and dip in and, you know, they, they nurture the soul, don't they? Yeah, they yeah, do. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's something yeah. about those stories that, that stick with you. And yeah. every time you read them, you see something different. Yeah. And I always think with Jane Austen, given the world, the relatively small world she lived in, what an what a amazing writer. Just she, she, she understood other human beings and, and the interactions, didn't she? She, she, she? Supreme. Yes, and she I mean, has that ironic voice too. Yeah. Have yeah. you visited uh, her house and things in Hampshire? Um, I've tried. Um, I tried to get tried? to Steventon. <laughs> they wouldn't let you it, into Hampshire. It was, we always get there late. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of yeah. course, I've seen her grave at Winchester yeah, Cathedral. Yeah, yeah. Um, as well as Emma is buried there. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
that's yeah. quite a shrine for me. So you've got Emma and Jane Austen, and obviously Jane Austen wrote a novel. Do you see, I saw, <laughs> see, see, see what you did there? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, uh, and it was actually great. We, we, we did a bit of a walk yesterday, and um, uh, it must be, you, you must really love coming to to the UK and, and actually f being in the places that you write about. Very much so, yeah, very much yeah. so. In fact, when we were walking yesterday, I was commenting to my husband, it reminded me of the time that he and I went in search of Sven's camp outside of Gainsborough. Um, wow. And we had no idea where we were going. Um, and, uh, and, you know, you're looking at these bumps in the ground and thinking, yes, I think this could have been <laughs> where, where it was, supposedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's fun, isn't it? I mean, I love doing that. Yeah. You know? it's, it's the more obscure things that, you know, don't have an English heritage or a, uh, a Cadu sign saying it's this way. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. And, and finding the Rollwright stones was another one of those. You know, oh, because what a place. I, I used those. You know, I thought I needed standing stones and I thought I'll make it up. And then I thought, why no. would I make it up? There's so many standing stones in England. Just find one that's in the place where you need it to be. S smack in the middle of, well, <laughs> it was Mercia, wasn't it? Right. Been, yeah. Right. Just not that, far that, from Oxford. Yeah. Those, those stones of all the standing stones, I've been to a lot of stone circles, I mean a lot of stone circles, of all of them has a very particular atmosphere. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't mean in a spooky way at all, but it's a, one of those places that people have gathered, to, more, more so than Stonehenge, um, I think. I went to a performance of The Tempest there oh. with um, oh, the guy who played Thomas Cromwell in uh, Wolf Hall. Mark Rylance, but yeah. way, way, way Wonderful. back. Uh, and it was a kind of crazy. Well, the tempest is a bit crazy, and uh, it was raining. It was a, it was a storm, <laughs> and he was running round in the mud. Uh, it was uh, quite a thing, and it just added to the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, so yeah. There yeah. was no one there when we were there. We were by ourselves, and uh, you may remember in in my first two books. Mm. I have a seeress who's there mm. at, at the yeah, Rollwright yeah. Stones. Yeah, I remember now. Yes, yeah. yes. And um, after my first book came out, there was a news article that they dug up a grave near yeah. the Rollwright Stones of a woman who was probably a seeress yeah, yeah. from the 6th century. And I thought... Yep, you got there <laughs> first. You knew got it. Got it right. Got it in one. <laughs> but it's a, it's a, it is a very strange place. Um, they sometimes, when we used to go there, um, they, they sometimes give you um, like dowsing, uh, some made up dowsing sticks with oh, uh, uh -huh. you know two biros with a bit of old coat hanger. And I don't have any powers, but whatever you do, you go towards the center of the circle without manipulating anything and they cross. No Always. kidding. Always. Wow. It is so odd. Wow. I can't explain. I mean, yeah, it could be geomagnetic forces well, or whatever. Well, the lines, you start, start so they're thinking there for about a that, purpose. yeah. Whatever. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that is um, weird. No. Makes me want to go back. You need, yeah, you need to go back. Oh, the Standing Stones, just, uh, you know, there's a period you could write about and you could make everything up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, well, look, Pat, thank you so much for giving me time this morning. I need to release you to go and find an obscure historical bump somewhere in the North <laughs> Wales countryside, and then we're, we're going to talk again later. So thank you so much. I'm so glad we actually managed to, you managed to make it here. And we, you know, one of the few face-to-face -face Bookalicious podcast interviews 
I've done. Oh, wonderful. I'm yeah. so glad. I, yeah. Thank you for asking me, and oh, it's just no, wonderful it's to be here. It's a joy. You must come again when you've written book four. Promise. And when you've written about <laughs> Judith. We said it here. Thank you, Pat. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, uh, that interview with with Pat. Uh, it was really delightful to catch up with her after, um, well, after the strange two years that we've had and uh, not having seen her for uh, quite a long time. And um, I think I said before, just before we went to the interview, strong women in fiction. But of course, I do mean strong leads, female leads in fiction or in books about history and whatever and I know if Lara were here Gwyn um, she would want us to mention uh, Boudicca mm. because I know Lara has written uh, quite a lot about Boudicca um, and she does appear in quite a few uh, I'm just trying to think of this there is a series um, about Boudicca Yes, it's Manda Scott. Yeah, I think I remember her from the Carnival of Words. Carnival of Words. She At did. The same... Yes, so um, the a fabulous series of books by Manda Scott about Boudicca. And, um, well, you can't, that, that's pre, obviously pre-Anglo-Saxon uh, and uh, certainly rivals Emma of Normandy, although uh, I would say that Emma of Normandy, uh, if you, when you hear the, us talking about them, read Pat's books, you can see that Emma Woods are a shrewd player of power. Power which was mainly in men's hands, but she knew how to... to uh, Boudicca, let's say she won quite a few victories, got some revenge, but didn't end so well. Oh no, I've ruined it for people. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Gwyn, if I say to you... Uh, Strong female leads, um, because most books up until recently that get any recognition are mostly written by men, aren't mm. they? Um, so uh, wh where would you go? Uh, well, I, I'm going to go, um, it's not a recent book. Uh, it's written by a female and has an extremely strong female lead. And that is Pride and Prejudice by Jane oh, Austen yeah. and Elizabeth Bennet. Fantastic. Who I love. And there was a reason that it's the book and the characters have lasted so long to this day. I think it was it's about 200 years ago. I was looking it up. I think it was 1815 it was published. And I thought about it the other day. Uh, somebody that I know mentioned Bridget Jones and Bridget Jones's diary by Helen Fielding was written almost as a reimagining of Pride and Prejudice. But I went away and I was thinking about the two characters and I thought, no, they're really not the same. Um, I, I feel that Lizzie Bennet is a far, far, I'm not going to say stronger character necessarily in terms of gripping, because Bridget grips the imagination. Yeah. Mm. Loved the book when I read it. The character is hilarious. But in terms of women who can hold their own in their society and within the confines and freedoms that they, they have within their own respective societies, I think, I think Lizzie Bennett will wipe the floor with Bridget Jones, quite honestly. Oh, totally, Gwyn. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think, um, I don't think uh, they go one round actually no. together. It's, it's bad because it's. I don't want to criticise Bridget because she learns and she is loved for who she is. By the end of the book, she goes through what she goes through, but I really don't feel she actually develops as a character. 
Um, she, given the freedoms that a character like Bridget has within her own world and the modern world, albeit the 90s, mm -hmm. um, it, and the freedoms that Lizzie didn't have in her world, I, I think, yeah, there, there's an enormous difference. I think, I feel that Lizzie aspires to what she wants, even though she's not allowed it. Yeah, um, yeah. Bridget aspires to what she thinks she's supposed to want because society says this is what women must want. Oh, that's really interesting. I was going to say, um, do you think, um, do you think that Bridget doesn't fully take it, as you, you've just said, really, haven't you, that Bridget doesn't take advantage of um, the gains that women have made in those two, nearly two centuries? I, think, well, I don't know whether it's too easy to say that as a mm. criticism, um, because it is still difficult. I it mean, is still difficult. Not, I was going to say, it's, it's not... It's it, political. Yeah. Not, I mean, we, we could go off into complete Margaret Atwood territory here if we started talking about America. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it's a question of, like, yeah. have women made the gains? I, I say that Elizabeth um, was in a society that was more restrictive towards women, and it was. Mm. But it could be simply that some of the gains that women felt that they had in the 90s perhaps weren't going to be as long-lasting as we hoped they would be. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I, no, yeah. I, I think that's fair enough. I, I was going to say... Yeah, when you reflect on it, if you go, well, even if you go back to Emma of Normandy, mm. see, the interesting thing with um, historical figures like that uh, is that they were people who, women who were born into, mm. well, privilege. I mean, because if I guess in, in Anglo-Saxon Norman times, um, if you were an ordinary woman um, who just married and you were just about surviving and you might just get pregnant and you die in childbirth, that happened most to a lot of women. Um, but Emma uh, particularly and, and Boudicca to some extent were both within relatively privileged privileged positions and happened to to well certainly emma marries two kings <laughs> you know a band works the power based on that so uh elizabeth is elizabeth bennett is really interesting isn't she because technically you know it is certainly up or upper middle class mm -hmm. and they're not without privilege um but things aren't straightforward in the bennett family are they i mean what no, sev I mean, seven daughters aren't there seven five, there's five, five, daughters. five yeah because yeah. there is no man the um they, they're basically when the father dies they're they're all going to be homeless yeah. or, unless they get married off so, which is I mean, just horrendous lizzie is that is her actual legal situation yeah. um so to have any kind of financial security for the future she has to find a man yeah but she decides she doesn't want to just marry the first man who comes along uh mr collins because mr collins i love mr collins <laughs> of her. and yet you feel that bridget in the 90s she's got so many, she doesn't need to have a man for her financial security she has a job she has her independence mm. she has a flat she has friends she has a life that she can lead on her own, and yet she mm. still wants a man because she wants a man, and it almost doesn't matter which man. Yeah. And that's what I find frustrating when I compare Bridget to Elizabeth. That yeah. will hold out for what she believes she deserves, which is a husband that will not only love her, but respect her and treat her as an equal. Yeah, I mean, Jane Austen, of course, I'm thinking of Anne Elliot in Persuasion as well. Um, less so Emma. Emma um, kind of... She 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 is she is strong and comes through, but 
she grates on me. That's just my. Uh, she she she's um, she she's more more challenging, I think. But uh, certainly, Anne Elliot in Persuasion, I would put up there as um, quite quietly strong, quietly working in the background, um, but n- not letting anyone um, push her over. Uh, and going, she knows she knows what she wants, and she, well, yeah. Let's not tell people who haven't read it what what happens yeah uh, you know interesting it's interesting i think um i was thinking about charles dickens um who has i, I think he had some serious issues in writing women um but if you look at characters like uh little dorrit and in Bleak House, there are a couple. Of, there, are, there are though some quite quietly strong women, but I genuinely think he he had problems writing female characters. Thomas Hardy, um, sorry, <laughs> we have to mention Hardy because for me, um, like Bathsheba Everdeen in uh, Far from the Madding Crowd, uh, is a, a pretty strong female lead. I, I think you can say safely say that he. Um, wrote her quite well although there are some diversions where um you think oh come on it wouldn't have been like that but uh tess more complex um and i know everyone says oh tess of the d'urbervilles is is hardy's great female lead Mm, i think it i think it's complicated with tess of the d'urbervilles um yeah fate does her a great disservice and also that she makes some of those fortuitous or infortuitous decisions that Hardy makes her make and you think no don't do that and then you know so we, we, there we go I'll put Thomas Hardy in the box I, I, I feel we should um, it's nice to bring Bridget Jones in but there's a big gap between Jane Austen and Bridget Jones um, I was mentioned earlier uh, Sarah Hillary, who I hadn't read any of her books uh, before, but interviewed her in the Carnival of Words a couple of weeks ago. She's a crime writer, and um, her main crime um, lead is uh, D.I. Marnie Rome, uh, who is definitely um i think i think sarah would i think this is fair to say and if sarah's listening to this i think we said this when we met um her characters are strong but they are quite fragile they've come through quite a lot so i think there is something about that Uh, but her latest book is called fragile which is a standalone novel with the lead character of nell um, with her friend Joe, who'd been in foster, a foster uh, home in Wales with a horrendous foster mother who you couldn't even imagine, um, shouldn't even be allowed near children. Um, and they escape and end up homeless on the streets in London. And then Joe disappears into this house. Nell follows her in and becomes the housekeeper. So this is where Sarah has kind of taken... Uh, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier as a bit of a model. Now, Rebecca, I don't know. We could debate whether Rebecca's a strong female lead or not. Not well, sure. It's interesting because you've got Rebecca and then there's the, the new, the younger Mrs. de Winter. Oh, um, yes, yes, who, yes. Um, are they both strong? Are they both vulnerable? Are they both in different ways? I think that's quite an interesting 
Yes, and completely drawn into um, Max. Mm. Mm. But uh, Fragile is interesting because there are those elements within it and uh, a a very good and strong young female lead. She writes young adults amazingly. Uh, well um, but she's fragile Um, so I don't know it's a good representation and the book is um, I I would call it a cross between uh, Rebecca um, and I did say to Sarah I thought uh, a little bit Iris Murdoch because there's some very odd slightly intellectual well they appear intellectual characters and in in very claustrophobic situations Uh, and it's very gothic as well as having elements of police procedural um, interesting very yeah very interesting so I I would put Nell up there but fragile is what it 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 says I, I think it's I don't know. I think I'd actually struggle to write a strong female lead. I, I know we we said Karis Davis writes male leads uh, because she can put herself over there. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Gwen? Do you, where's your preference? Do you, would you go? Would it just be what appears to you at the time? Um, well, the novel I'm kind of trying to make progress with has female characters in it. I'm not sure if I've even got any male characters, but I also have cats. Oh, of course you So, so this is slightly <laughs> different. But, um, uh, I don't know. I, th- I think what's interesting about a lot of strong characters, generally male or female, is that um, obviously any character is more interesting when they're flawed, yeah. but you can still feel sympathy for them. Mm. Um, and it's a question of how they are flawed and what the different vulnerabilities might be and whether they gain strength from the vulnerabilities, whether they can fight their way through or whether they just, um, I don't know, give, give in. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't want to keep going back to Bridget Jones. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think the strongest characters, the most interesting characters are the ones who you almost think, if they were written very slightly differently, I really wouldn't like this character at all. Yeah. But you can't help but respect what they're doing with what they're given in life. Yeah, that's that's that that's interesting, and I think uh, writing um, a female lead, if they mm. have a sort of cozy, comfortable life and everything ends happily, that's not that's not that's not true no. to life, is it? And I think the 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 characters that ring true are the ones that actually do have to make an effort and and fight in order yeah. to get their voice heard or do whatever they and need. I think to with do. female characters, because of the nature of, let's call it, patriarchal society. Over it is patriarchal society, Gwen, you can say it. <laughs> from a position of um, inferiority, if you like, socially to begin with. So that's something many female characters in books over the centuries have, have to overcome before they can even start. Yeah. yeah even with yeah. all the, the other interpersonal issues. Oh yeah, yeah. Men can just walk in uh, to a room, mm. sort it all out, walk away, and leave debris behind them, can't they? Um, <laughs> they can and do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm. Uh, I'm I want to give a shout out for women in fantasy. Um, yes. Because some, when you look at read things like Tolkien, there's not a huge number of female no. characters in there. But as you were speaking earlier, I was thinking about. Terry Pratchett and Discworlds. Oh yes, uh, 
witches in Discworld, especially Granny Weatherwax. <laughs> she is one of the strongest characters in literature, full stop. She's really, and she's another one of those who doesn't always go around shouting about how strong mm. she is, but she mm. can just mm. look at you. Mm. Uh, she's one of those characters that just scares people just by being there. Yeah, because I think when we uh, talked about fantasy uh, quite a few episodes ago, um, certainly the two books I read, did you read the stuff that was coming out in the 80s? Um, mm. Really, they're just kind of cardboard cutout female leads who are just there to 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 feed the fantasies of the men. True, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm not under, uh, I'm not overplaying that either. Um, and i'm not entirely sure fantasy's entirely got over it uh mm. even now um but uh yeah yeah that's 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 interesting i, I do think there's a lot more um, you know my, more my genre um crime crime novels i think there's a lot of really good female leads now um and that's kind of comes from the prime suspect you know linda laplante uh, um series and she she also is a a writer of novels um i'm not entirely sure it's down to her but you know the, the women within the police have, still have a hard time but have had to fight their way through and i think that's being reflected now in uh in in crime fiction um yeah all all world is in crime fiction, you know, uh, Gwen. Fantasy <laughs> is just escapism. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. I, don't, I was only joking. We can argue about that forever. <laughs> you know, well, we could talk about uh, strong female leads uh, forever. Um, actually, we shouldn't really leave Middlemarch just lying there uh, because Dorothea in, in, in Middlemarch is the, uh, I think, George Eliot, when she first wrote Middlemarch, um, was just going to have a novel about Dorothea. Mm. Uh, and then other strands emerge. Um, and I, I'm not sure I entirely came away feeling full empathy for Dorothea. Um, she's written at the beginning of Middlemarch as, um, well, she did, yeah, George Eliot compares her to uh, St. Teresa of Avila you know, um, and she wants to do good and she wants to please people and, and, and which, so then you end up marrying Casibon. So, uh, yeah, um, well, I can't give away the end. Um, and I think she redeems herself, but yeah, she's an interesting, go away and if you haven't read Middlemarch, go away and work it out for yourself. Uh, I, 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 jury's out on, on, on Dorothea. I think there's one or two other interesting female characters in, in, in uh, Middlemarch. There's some, yeah, we could talk about it forever. Tolstoy does some interesting female leads, doesn't he, like Anna Karenina. Um, again, flawed, <laughs> big time. Um and in War and Peace, uh, and he also, in his real life, Tolstoy had um, some serious issues with uh, in his relation with his wife and various other females, as did Thomas Hardy. And you know, oh dear, perhaps men should just have a rest from writing novels for a while. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it just be interesting? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think we're beginning. I think the 
I think publishing is beginning to get there. Um, I still think it's a male-dominated market, mm -hmm. and I um, I think it quite correctly equality is definitely as we said about the big jubilee read going more towards um, looking at a broad range of. Um, racial cultural outlooks from across the world and I think that's important as well um, but in that mix there needs to be equal representation for 50 percent of the world that hasn't had 50 percent of the world's population that really hasn't been equally represented um, even up until now and on that uh, feminist note you can tell I'm I a totally 100 percent signed up feminist even though I'm a man can, can I be a feminist? Yes, of course you can. Yes. Oh, thanks. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, uh, Gwyn, um, well, I, I've, I've got a few interesting programmes lined up. I think I mentioned to, uh, seems ages ago, the last episode, um, that we would, uh, I would be able to talk to Ian Lucas, mm. uh, former yeah. MP of Wrexham, about his book Digital Gangsters and I did meet Ian and we haven't yet managed to, to do the interview but that will definitely come up in the future because uh, that's an ongoing issue um, the intervention of social media in the democracy across the world um, and no one really seems to be grasping it uh, but I've also uh, bumped into a few people along the way in the carnival um, one uh, is uh, translated fiction which i know you you did uh, a whole year of translated fiction as well didn't you um yeah. and uh this stems from um uh, monica who chose uh, the master and margarita for one of her panels in the carousel session we did um a while, uh, at the end of the carnival and she's never read it in english uh because she's uh polish born in krakow and brought up in communist poland um and uh, read it in, has read it in russian and and so she has an interesting twist on um what it's like to read english translations and how maybe we're missing something so i'm, I'm hoping to catch up with her she did promise me she'd do and she also um was uh, reading some polish poetry so translating poetry you just you just miss everything you know mm. Um, and also uh, Pete Evans, who is a local travel writer. He's done two books following the course of the River Dee and the River Allen, uh, and uh, actually really enjoys travel writing and has travelled a lot himself. And I thought that may, that may or may not come next month or the month after. These are all interesting things in the mix. And of course, now, Gwen, you're thrown into the mix. We now have to have a show all about trains. Yes. Do you think we should do it on a train? That could be difficult to schedule. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking maybe Lara and Holly and I all get on a train mm. heading to Cardiff and you meet <laughs> us somewhere um, just a little bit, maybe Avergaveni. And we could travel up to Shrewsbury together. You could then go back and I, we go back in different directions. What do you think? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> you started the idea. Yeah. Well, perhaps, perhaps we'd have to pretend. Yes. yes. Yeah. We could do yeah. sound effects like choo, choo, choo. 
I think it's time to go now. Oh, man. <laughs> oh well, thanks ever so much, Gwyn, for uh, see... interesting. Yeah, no, interesting. I haven't read anything much this month. I did find things to talk about. You always do, and it's always <laughs> worth coming along. Um, if you want, if you really want to, and no one's ever done this, if you want to continue the conversation about. Uh, um, strong female leads women in uh literature generally you could always email us couldn't you mm. at, uh, in, uh what are we info at bookalicious.com yep. yes you can do you can do that um who knows we might even put up a blog on one of our blog posts at bookalicious.com and you, you can comment there again not mm -hmm. too many people have but you can and uh we keep the conversation going and do tell your friends all about Bookalicious and uh, the wide diversity of the things we talk about. Sometimes we don't even know when we start recording what might come out. <laughs> That's the fun. That's part of the fun. That's part of the fun. Well, we'll definitely be back sometime uh, next month. Um, it will be a surprise. It will be one of the things I mentioned uh, as a theme. Uh, so uh, until then, um, this is Gwyn and I saying bye for now. You've been listening to Bookalicious, available wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends. We love to know you're listening, so please like us or leave a comment. Have a look at our website, bookalicious.com, and you can contact us on info at bookalicious.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I wish you all happy reading. Bye.